Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Well, hello again to those of you who are latecomers. Happy New Year again to you. Um, we're looking in the scriptures this morning at the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 21, verses 1 to 8, uh, and we will conclude, actually, the Behold series, these famous Behold statements that we've been discussing that we find in the New Testament. And uh, we, we saved the best for last, actually. Um, this is the week where we get to slow our lives down and hear Jesus say to us, Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. Uh, by day, Sam Leith is a literary editor for one of the oldest magazines in the world. By night, and sometimes he admits uh, by the wee hours of the morning, he is an avid gamer. Um, like some of you, he plays video games because they're fun, and you're on a mission, and there's a puzzle and all that. He, that's one of the reasons he does it. But actually, he slowed down uh, to write and explain uh, some bigger reasoning behind why he is a gamer. It's not just that he is ridding the world of imaginary zombies. It's actually existential. It's in response to a longing that has been woven into the fabric of humanity. This is what he writes. Out here in the real world, the baleful influence of the second law of thermodynamics is inescapable. Things fall apart. Time runs only one way. But in the game world, the resurrection of the virtual flesh is not a miracle but a routine occurrence. There's always another life, another try, the possibility of remaking the world of the game afresh. And you know, I think he's on to something, actually. People like you and me really are hungry for a second chance, a new life. I mean, that, that infatuation is why we celebrate New Year every year, right? There's nothing, there's nothing different about Friday and Saturday of this past weekend except the fact that we have an opportunity to call something new, one year runs into the beginning of another, and we think to ourselves, I've got a second chance. I have a new opportunity, a new moment to, to, to do better with my health or my relationships or my career or the way I manage my money or my devotional practices. All of us at our core are hoping to, to press the reset button on our lives to get a second chance, to have a new life. And frankly, we're looking for any opportunity out there to do it. So parents, 
maybe your kids aren't playing too many video games. Maybe they're actually just expressing their existential crisis, right? Maybe what they're doing is not fighting against imaginary bad guys. Maybe what they're actually doing is is fighting the second law of thermodynamics, the reality that we live in a world where things end and things fall apart and they're not comfortable with it. Maybe, just maybe, every swipe and punch and tap is a swipe and a punch and a tap crying out to hear Jesus say, Behold, I am making all things new. By the way, it's not just video games, of course. It's why we buy new clothes. It's why we pack up and move to start over again somewhere. It's why we refresh our inbox to see if something new has come. It's why we're constantly on our phones. It's why we watch sports. It's why we look for new jobs. We all want that opportunity for a second chance, for a new life. We all want Jesus to say, behold, I'm making all things new, out with the old, in with the new. I invite you to stand as I read about that from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed Away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Please be seated. Lord, would the words of your servant's mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts this morning, would, would they be pleasing in your sight, our Lord and our rock and our Redeemer? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you were listening closely, but there's actually another behold statement that snuck into our passage. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And God is giving this vision to John And John giving it to us because he wants us to imagine what it will be like the day Jesus comes to live with us forever. What will it be like for Jesus to bring the life of eternity in heaven down to earth? And one of the things he says 
is that, well, the first creation, the first heaven and earth as it's called here, the first creation will pass away. And the former things associated with that first creation, the things that cause us to groan for the new creation, those things too will pass away. Things like chaos and danger. For an ancient person, that was all embodied in the sea. That's why the sea is mentioned. Things like tears, death, mourning, crying, pain, all of those things, those former things, part of the first creation, all of them will pass away. Out with the old. I learned this week of an annual celebration that takes place in Times Square, New York City, called Good Riddance Day. Um, Good Riddance Day is something that has been inspired by some traditions in Latin America. Maybe you've seen this, maybe you grew up doing something like this, where uh, you would gather and you would take objects that represented painful moments of the past year and you would stuff those objects into a doll, often like a straw doll, and then you would do what? You light it on fire, and you would say, good riddance, out with the old. Well, you can't do that in New York City. Um, that probably wouldn't work, lighting straw dolls on fire all over New York City. And so they've came up with their own version. What is Good Riddance Day like in New York City? This is what their website says. Do you think 2021 was a dumpster fire? Us too. Say goodbye to your unwanted memories of 2021 at the annual Good Riddance Day event. Join us in burning symbols of any unpleasant, unhappy, and downright unwanted memories from 2021. Bring your most embarrassing moments, your greatest fails, and biggest regrets from 2021, and we'll write them down on our official Good Riddance Day forms to incinerate. And so as you look online, you'll find some of those forms filled out. You'll see that people have written things like good riddance to bad jobs or good riddance to two-faced people, good riddance to being dependent and wimpy, good riddance to student loan debt, good riddance to bad dates, good riddance to negativity and bad luck. And it made me think... You know, there will be one more Good Riddance Day that ends all the other Good Riddance Day, and it's when Jesus returns to make all things new. What would you have written down on that? What would you want to see fed into the incinerator? What would you want to say Good Riddance to? Good Riddance to the experience of a mother holding her face in her hands as she grieves yet another miscarriage. Good riddance to another marriage ruined because someone was addicted to pornography. Good riddance to the mom who was a good mom to her children. Good, good riddance to dementia that makes that mom forget the names of her children. Good riddance to the insecurity that causes the 12-year-old to stand in front of the mirror and wonder if the girl in the mirror is pretty enough or good enough or thin enough. Good riddance to loneliness, to depression, to suicide, to anxiety, to hospitals, 
to orphanages, to funerals, to goodbyes, good riddance to conflict, abuse, injustice, poverty, racism, greed, pride, good riddance to all of that. Out with the old, Jesus will say. As he tenderly wipes away every tear from our eyes, now that I live with you, now that I'm your God and you're my people and we do this together forever, there will be no more of that in my new creation. All of the decay that haunts the human experience will be gone. Out with the old. There's a warning here that's uncomfortable, but it's here because we're supposed to pay attention to it, and it's what shows up in verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So this is describing people who have made a habit, a lifestyle of rejecting God. These are people whose lives are characterized actually by the very decay that Jesus has come to fix, that Jesus has come to say good riddance to. And I realize that um, this sounds pretty harsh to our 21st century ears, and it's not really something that's like warm and fuzzy for us to talk about, hell. But ultimately what's happening here is God is giving people, in the end, what they really, really want, which is a life without Him. Um, Eric and Anna Graham asked me to share with the university students uh, about two months ago, and my role was to facilitate and answer this question. How could a loving God send people to hell? That's a really great question, right? And it's one that many people need answered for them if they're going to take Christianity seriously. And so we took a stab at it. We had a great conversation And in that, I I, I mentioned this quote from Tim Keller and quotes from lots of other people too. This is what Keller says. People only get in the afterlife what they have most wanted, either to have God as Savior and Master or to be their own Saviors and Masters. He goes on to talk about how almost everyone from from whatever religion, whatever culture, agrees That self-centeredness is bad. That self-centeredness makes you miserable and blind and makes the people around you uh, miserable. He continues, The more self-centered, self-absorbed, self-pitying, and self-justifying people are, the more breakdowns occur, decay. Relationally, psychologically, and even physically, They also go into deeper denial about the source of their problems. Hell is simply one's free chosen path going on forever. We wanted to get away from God, and God in His infinite justice sends us where we wanted to go. It would be a lot easier for me just to skip this passage and not talk about this topic, right? Um, that would not be doing justice to the Bible, and actually it would be doing something, the very thing that Jesus wants to get rid of anyway, which is what? To make God into my own image, to make God into someone 
who just exists like some cosmic Santa Claus to make me happy, to never be a God who would ask me to do something uncomfortable or ask me to give up something that, that I love. And, and well, that is something that Jesus is going to have to deal with also. Um, C.S. Lewis is talking to people who objected to this doctrine of hell, and he wrote this. I thought it was very helpful. In the long run, the answer to all those who object to this doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sin and at all costs to give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? But he has done so on Calvary. Are you asking God to just leave them alone? Alas, I'm afraid that is what he has done. In the end, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, or those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. So you see how this works. Out with the old, not just, not only includes the broken realities of, of living as a human right now, the human experience. Out with the old also includes our hearts and the dangerous substance that is in our hearts that would tell God, hey God, I want my life to be lived my way and I don't want you to bother with me. I don't want you to inter- interfere with that. Jesus graciously says, you know what, out with the old heart. Out with the heart that would push you further and further into rebellion, away from me. We must get rid of that and replace that with a new heart. This is one of the things that separates Christianity from those who may not be Christians yet. It's not that Christians are morally better. Okay, It's not that we have a higher moral standard or whatever. No, it's that we have these regularly occurring moments of honesty. Baxley just introduced one and led us in one a minute ago. Where we look at our lives often and we say, you know what? I'm I'm a mess. Like my heart is ugly and twisted, and there's some there's some some really bad stuff going on in there. And we cry out to Jesus desperately. Jesus, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Give me your heart, Jesus. Out with the old heart. Out with the old me. In with the new me. I'm a mess and I can't fix myself. And even when I try to fix myself, it's destructive and leads to decay. Because then it's all about my glory and it's all about my own self love and comfort. I can't even fix myself. I need you to do it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And do you know what Jesus says to people who have that sort of cry in their hearts? Verse 6, speaking to John, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Look, I'm the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. 
I don't fit into time. Time fits into me. Old creation, new creation, old heart, new heart. I say it. It's done. You can take it to the bank. I keep my promises. That's good news. Back to that C.S. Lewis quote, the start of his quote. What is it that we're really asking God to do? Are we asking Him to wipe out our past sins and at all costs to give us a fresh start, to smooth every difficulty, to offer every miraculous help? Lewis says, but he has done so on Calvary, and he's right. Jesus has done so on Calvary's cross. He said, it is finished, and it was true. It is finished. The penalty of our sin has been removed by Jesus. And one day in the future, at least in our future, Jesus will say, it is done The presence of our sin and the power of our sin also gone forever. The old things have passed away. And the best part of it all, it's free. It's free to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. All you have to do is admit that you're thirsty. Jesus doesn't give water to people who are already satiated. Those people don't ask Jesus for anything anyway. They think they don't need him. But people like you and me, who know our real thirst, who know our souls are so thirsty that they'll dry up and blow away unless Jesus does something about it, Jesus responds the way he responds to the woman at the well in John 5. Right, Pointing to the water there that she's talking about. Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give to him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you hear it? It's ongoing. It's never stopping. He's talking about eternal life. Or we could say it in this way. He's talking about the life of eternity, which is how it reads in the original languages. The life of eternity, which is not just that life goes on and on and on and on. It's a life that is characterized by the way things are and will be in eternity. The very ethic and harmony and peace of God himself. It's that quality of life. That's the life of eternity. And Jesus is saying, are you thirsty? You want it? Drink. Have all that you want. It'll never, ever stop. It'll never run out. And it's free for thirsty, needy people like you and me. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's the gospel. Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new in our world and in our needy hearts. To get practical, this is one of the reasons we don't need to continuously escape the world we live in. Um, We don't need to continuously escape the world we live in through video games or Netflix or shopping or pleasure or affirmation from people or work or whatever it is that you find yourself making the human experience a little number through. We don't have to do that. We don't need to distract We don't need to escape. We don't need to numb ourselves from the hopelessness or the futility of the human experience because in Jesus, 
the human experience is not hopeless, is not futile. There's no need to escape somewhere else when you can find your refuge and your home in Jesus himself. And that's what Jesus wants. He says right here, I'm coming to live with you, to make the dwelling place of God with humankind. I'm moving in and I'm never going to leave. Why? Because I like you, I love you, and I always want to be with you. It's amazing. Now, what difference does this make practically? What difference does this make, let's say, as you think about how you want 2022 to turn out? Well, I do think about um, kind of a, a tradition in Christianity that's been popular for about the last 160, 70 years, which is to talk so much about the hope of heaven that people who call themselves follower of Jesus become really disconnected with the world around them and with people around them. They're quick to label things and people as worldly, and they get away from them. And one of the things I think we need to recognize here is that heaven is not the final destination. You heard me right. Heaven is not the final destination. Heaven is where our souls go when we die, but it's temporary. We're headed back down to the new earth that God is describing here. The new earth, the new creation, that is our final destination. And guess what? It is resurrection life. Like real flesh and blood, resurrection life that we're headed toward. And it was all started in motion by the resurrection of Jesus, and we will follow after him. Famous theologian N.T. Wright uh, says it this way, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from the earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, he says, is what the Lord's prayer is about. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the shape of the human story of redemption, isn't it? That's the shape of creation, heaven to earth. That's the shape of incarnation, heaven to earth. That's the shape of eternity, heaven to earth. And it should also be the shape of the Christian life. What this means is that Christians do not become so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. It means we don't detach, we don't disengage, we don't escape and just wait until we die so we can finally experience good stuff with God in heaven. No, we invest here and now. We cultivate life here and now. Why? Because that's what Jesus is doing. It's what God has been doing forever, cultivating life here and now. He likes it. He likes resurrection life. And so we do that anywhere in our world, in our lives, in our family systems, at work, at school, anywhere we see decay, we bring life. We bring life to it. That's what Jesus wants. We don't have to wait till the consummation of all things to bring life to death here. And so in the year 2022, do with your Savior what you will be doing with him forever which is cultivating life where you see death. Become a voice, a little voice 
in a dying world of the big voice who calls out, Behold, I am making all things new. Out with the old, in with the new. Back in 2015, CNN uh, did a story on um, an elderly gentleman named John Helensky. Uh, John had been homeless and nameless, sleeping on a cardboard box for about three years. His life changed the day he walked into one particular homeless shelter. Now, he had no ID, he had no money, no traceable history. He was facing a tangled up bureaucratic mess to be able to get back onto his feet. And most people would look at somebody like John and say, well, here's a bed to sleep in, here's a warm cup of soup, good luck, buddy, and God bless you. But they wouldn't roll up their sleeves and try to produce life where there is decay. Until he met Charles. Charles worked at this homeless shelter. He was the caseworker of John, and he said, you know what? I want this guy to have a second chance. I want him to be back on his feet. So he rolled up his sleeves, and he dug into the untang- to, to untangle the bureaucratic mess that was John's life. And guess what he found? Life. He found life. A second chance. John's identity was restored. Then they knew his history. Well, they discovered that John had had a bank account that was with a bank that no longer existed, but there was this new bank called Bank of America that had absorbed that account. And and they discovered that in that account, actually, the U.S. government had been paying Social Security into it, and that over the years, that account had grown and with interest. And all of a sudden, it hit John. I'm going from homeless to homeowner. I have a second chance. I have a new life. Jesus is offering us a new life, a second chance to go from homeless to home in Him. Only it's not going to come about because we've discovered something rich in our history, right? That would be a great humanistic ending. Look, we actually are okay and we are good enough to pull it together. No, 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 no. It comes about because we have discovered, rather, we have been given the riches of Jesus Christ on the cross while he took away all of our bankruptcy. And it was all free because he loves you, because he wants to be with you forever. All we do is receive it and respond to it. Behold, I am making all things new. It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this message. Um, Would it become so real in our hearts that it bubbles over into every area of our life? Lord, we look back at 2021 and we see a lot uh, that we don't like, that we regret, that we feel ashamed of. And we want 2022 to be different. We want to be agents of life, agents of your mission, Jesus, to see life cultivated in areas where there is decay. So would you inspire us by the gospel that we could appropriate it in this way to be your agents of redemption as you restore all things, as you make all things new. This we pray in your name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.